the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Scott, my boy, how are you? Scott? Oh, can I come in? Great, Scott. Scotty, beat me up. This is SoCal Live with Scott Burrow. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Hour 2 of Southern California Live. Great to be with you today as we are each and every weekday together, 3 to 5 right here on this station. And I have a special guest with me in the studio today. We've been talking with Officer Dion Joseph. And uh, Officer Joseph is a police officer for 26 years. And the place where he works the most is in the Skid Row community. And we've been talking about his story and how he became a police officer and his path into this place. So when we left, you were working at the uh, the front desk in right. that division, right. and you said that people came in with injuries and problems every few minutes. Oh, it was it was just completely insane, and none of them wanted help uh, from a law enforcement perspective. They just wanted to hide in the lobby and wait for the ambulance to take him away to safety. And then I ended up uh, getting my first patrol car. And I ended up in Chinatown. I was like, thank you, God, Chinatown. You're looking mm-hmm. at you. Answering my prayers again. <laughs> but I never spent any time in Chinatown because uh, Skid Row was so busy that all the cars had to leave their prospective areas right. and end up in Skid Row. And I saw more tragedy, uh, women being raped and, you know, having people stand around them while I'm trying to take a report and taunt me and taught the woman. Uh, there was a man who had got stabbed in the chest and he's sitting on the side while holding his chest and the attacker was walking down the street and he said, that's the guy that did it. So I arrested the guy who didn't run. This is how bad it was. And he laughed at me and says, you know, I'm going to be out in about two days, right? I said, why? He says, he says, oh, you know, nobody cares about this. this is just Skid Row. They're going to reject this case. I'll be back out. I went to the station and wrote the world's greatest police report. And here's why for me. <laughs> I'm from a unified school district where I had a teacher literally tell me, just put your name on the paper and you'll get a C because they were trying to pass us through. Right, right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'll take that C. Sure. So that impacted me <laughs> as it referred to my writing guy. So I mm. still struggle to this day with dangling participles and antecedents. But I wrote the world's greatest police report, dotted every I, crossed every T to ensure that a homeless man who was the victim of a stabbing would get justice. And when I gave my report to this watch commander i called him the red pen because he couldn't wait to get a hold of new officers reports and just mark all over it i saw him reading the pen was shaking and i saw a tear start to scream from his eye he said this is the world's greatest police report (laughs) and i was passionate about it and i ended up taking the guy to jail and when i came back to work two days later i saw the guy walking down the street and he looked at me and said i told you in anger, I went to the detective and I says, what happened? And the detective says, Joseph, this was the world's greatest police report. <laughs> Good job. But the district attorney gave me the disposition and said, uh, DA reject because the person is a drug addict and homeless. Hmm. Now, to anybody out there, does that sound like justice to you? I assume not. You right. cannot judge on what a good victim is based on who they are or where they're at in life. 
And that bothered me. And I saw this over and over again until I got assigned to Skid Row Car. And after about three months of being there, I realized that I was home. They needed somebody. And it's not just me. There's plenty of caring officers where I work who are just like me. And, uh, and I, they needed somebody to be a champion for them. And I stayed. And I only left with one exception to go work with juveniles. But I stayed there to try to create an environment conducive to change so that the influence of the service providers there, the 108 programs, could be stronger than that than the criminal element. And, and that's where my journey began to try to help those wonderful people. And they are wonderful people in Skid Row. So let's talk about Skid Row. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we talk about these issues on our program. We, we talk about the policy issues that is leading to California having such a huge homeless problem, especially in, uh, in uh, San Francisco and L.A. Mm-hmm. It's significant. And churches talk about it, and we support ministries, and there's some great ministries, of course. I think that there are a lot of people afraid, though, of, of people. And, mm-hmm. and the idea that you just said somebody isn't given justice just because of their circumstance. Imagine if that was Jesus to us. Oh, yeah. I died on the cross for all of you, but not you over not you there. Guys. <laughs> yeah, not you guys. I don't like that drugs not and stuff. Not those people. Not those people <laughs> over there, uh, which I think sometimes is a sin of the church, to Absolutely. be f- frank. Right? On all, we do that to all kinds of different people Absolutely sometimes. Absolutely, we do. You were called to a place you didn't want to go. God put you there, gave you a heart, and you you wrote the world's greatest police report. Do you have a copy of that? Did you put that on the wall <laughs> no, or something? I don't remember. <laughs> that was 24 yeah, years ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> In my opinion, it was the greatest. But yeah, well. <laughs> it I, didn't get a red mark. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Skid Row. What, you know, what do people need to know about what's going on down there for real? Well, here's what you need to know about Skid Row. I want to do two things first. First, I want to humanize the homeless. Mm. Um, there are four kinds of people in Skid Row, and I say this every time. I have to because they're, the Skid Row and cops get a bad rap. Uh, there are four kinds of people in Skid Row, just like anywhere else. Uh, you have good people. Uh, there are Most of the people there are good, decent people just trying to make it. They're just disenfranchised. Good people who do bad things. Uh, these are your drug addicts who, when things are crazy and they don't have an environment conducive to change, they do horrible things. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, the third group. You have ex-convicts who th- they, they have the capacity to change. But once again, without a, a, a great environment to do that, they usually end up recidivizing. And then the last group, uh, just wicked people. I'm sorry, there's no better way to phrase it. There are individuals who descend upon Skid Row hundreds by the hundreds to prey upon the weaknesses of the people there. Now, like any other place, it's the same, but juxtaposed to any other place, here's where it's different. Because Skid Row is a tight, concentrated 50-block radius, there tends to be this uh, constant and frequent cross-contamination of all four of those groups. And this is what it looks like to the general public. This is what you need to know. For the good person, they always have to look the other way when they become victims of crime, especially now when there's literally no justice in the justice system anymore. Mm-hmm. They just give, they, Even the victims of crime today have just given up. We, we have no outlet. The guy stabbed me, and he's out tomorrow. He gets slapped on the wrist. Yeah. For the good person who does bad things, the drug addict, they stay on the bad side longer. Why? Because the temptation is too great to fail. How do you get clean when the drug dealer is not only outside, but they've been court ordered inside the drug program or they get in because people inside the building still owe drug debts and they're allowed to go in there and continue to uh, keep people on. end. I think there's a dynamic in so many different ways that we don't understand. Most people don't understand. They don't. don't. But it's a problem that just replicates itself and it's getting worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then here's how the third group is impacted. The uh, ex-convict who wants to change, but he can't. He's sitting there. He's been ordered by his parole agent to go to Skid Row, and the parole agent puts his finger in their face and says, okay, stay out of trouble. 
Uh, you just sent him to Skid Row and told him to stay out of trouble, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting $221 a month, and you look outside the window, and there's a drug dealer making thousands of dollars. You're mm-hmm. thinking, oh, my God, i got to get some of this quote-unquote work. Whenever you hear the word work in Skid Row, that's not a good thing. And they end up recidivizing. And then the last group, the, the, the wicked folks, they pull all the strings, uh, even sometimes linking up with advocates to make the police look like the bad guy before trying to stop this madness by any legal means necessary. And as a result, uh, I, I don't foresee Skid Row changing anytime soon uh, until uh, there's some policy changes. Yeah, you're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. My guest is Officer Dion Joseph. You can find out more about Officer Joseph at or Officer Dion. Do you like Officer Dion or Officer Joseph? You can call me Dion. I don't care. Okay, Dion. Uh, at Dion Joseph. I'm on my day off. <laughs> That's right, your day off. <laughs> um, and um, DionJoseph.org is the website, D-E-O-N-Joseph.org. Um, let's talk about policy a lot. You know, we, we have a debate going on in our state, and really across the country, about the policy of what's called harm reduction. And this is right. the policy where, essentially, the way I call it is that we want people to uh, kill themselves more safely. Mm-hmm. So we provide a space for people to do illegal drugs, right. and we provide somebody there who will keep them from ODing and dying, right. but that's about it. Uh, and it seems to me that it's really anti-recovery. It's just allowing people to continue down a path that is not going to go anywhere good. You interact with this all of the time. How is, is, is there any part of it that works? Is there something that, that – what needs to change? Uh, well, it depends on the area you put it in. If you want to put a harm reduction model in a place called Skid Row where there's a high volume of crime, and uh, let me paint a picture for you. There's 108 programs in Skid Row designed to help people, but because of its close proximity to other cities like Compton, Watts, Carson, Inglewood, you know, uh, a lot of the people who are on the low end of the social and economic ladder, when they fall or they end up on drugs, they fall faster than your average person who's more affluent, and they end up coming to the only show in town because of nimbyism called Skid Row. In nimbyism, we've talked about before in the show, is not in my backyard. <laughs> not in my backyard. Everybody wants to help the homeless, but not in my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. As long as they're over there. They're as long as they're over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you end up pushing people into places like Skid Row, and and then unfortunately you'll have people who believe in policies that are very hands-off, like harm reduction. And when you try harm reduction in a place like Skid Row, you only give the lives of people who are trying to recover into the hands of the drug dealer. Let me mm. let me let me explain what that looks like. So, you want to take a guy with a needle in his arm, uh straight off the street and put them into housing. Okay, here's how that works. That person gets housed uh if they want it cuz a lot of them don't want the housing. Okay. That person gets housed uh, because they're not ready, and they don't realize that that person already owes a drug debt to the local loan shark or drug dealer that's on the street. And, of course, the drug dealer is going to find out where you are. Right. So they're going to send people into the well, hotel. There's an economy and business going on. It's not legal, but yeah. it's yeah. real. And they're going to say, hey, you still owe me $500. Uh, guess what? You know, you got to let me use your hotel room so I can continue to sell drugs. Or you stay here, but you have to turn this place out. By that, I mean you have to sell drugs in here and get the rest of the people in these buildings, continue to keep them hooked and get more money in these, quote-unquote, harm reduction hotels that are supposed to have rehabilitative components and supportive services. But it's very difficult. I was undercover from 1999 to 2001. Hmm. And uh, I posed undercover, and, uh, and I was in one of the hotels. And I got a room. And I stayed there, and sure enough, all night long, there were people either knocking on my door asking for, for drugs 
or trying to get me to buy drugs. And I thought, this is madness. This hotel is supposed to be helping people. But unfortunately, they're overwhelmed. The staff is either corrupt, not mm-hmm. all of them, not all of them. Yeah. I know many of them, they're not corrupt. Right. But either some of them have been paid off by the drug dealer or they're just overwhelmed by the uh, high level of criminality and they can't or they're too intimidated to try to stop it. So what ends up happening is uh, people are catching more hell inside the hotel than outside of the hotel. So it's it like no difference to being on the streets, but now you're isolated, you know, now, especially if you're mentally ill, you're in a room, you're alone, and you're getting drugs every night. Now you're dual diagnosis and you have no real support. So it's just as bad inside some of these places as it is when they were on the streets. And that's why a lot of homeless people don't want housing. And listen to me, and I know that sounds crazy to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You're talking to an officer who, by the grace of God, and working with a lot of great agencies, helped house 150 homeless people over 10 years. 150, and that's a drop in the bucket. On average, there was two to 3,000 people in the streets. Why only 150? Because that was 150 that were ready. Right. Out of that 150, half of them left the program within a week because they didn't want the rules, their drug dealer couldn't come in there sometimes, or whatever, you know, or they got caught doing something crazy and they got kicked out, or they walked out because they didn't like the rules. And they would go right into a tent with their hotel room still available. Uh, you know, it's, and it's, people don't know how powerful it is when you don't uh, create accountability for the criminal element and you don't create an environment. There should be a zero tolerance for drug sales anywhere near any drug supportive program, housing program, shelter where they have support services yeah. for people struggling. Now, why don't we have that? I think most people agree with that, actually. If we were to get everybody around the table, everybody listening, I think most of us would agree with that. Why mm-hmm. don't we do that? You know, it, there's a movement right now to basically, uh, it's a humanistic movement that believes a human being uh, wants to do it, they shouldn't be penalized for it. And that movement mm-hmm. has now taken steam like I've never seen before. I, if you would have told me 20 years ago that, you know, they were going to decriminalize drugs, I would have laughed in your face. Right. Knowing the damage that that, yes. that drugs has done, it's killing people and it's causing people to do horrible things to get what they need. Let me help the general public understand this. Uh, you people go, well, how do one number, number one question I get used to get asked by college students and people when I would take them on skid road tours is, well, how do these people get their money? Well, here's how they sell mm-hmm. their bodies and do horrible things to their body to get what they need or they engage in crime. The reason why where I work, we have a high level of property crimes and violent crimes like robberies. And that's your drug addict who's probably when they're not on drugs, they're great people, yeah. you know, but when they're binging on crack cocaine, heroin, spice or whatever their drug of choice is, they will do horrible things to get what they need. And that's what drives it. And that's where you still need enforcement. I'm not saying enforcement is the answer. What I'm saying is you need enforcement coupled with mandatory programs. We don't have that anymore. So there's no carrot in the stick approach. So now we just have this open air drug market. And Skid Row's not the only place. It's everywhere. You've seen it in San Francisco, Philly, everywhere that has adopted this policy, you're seeing it fall apart. And yet we still have other cities. Hmm, let me try that. It's (laughs) shocking that the evidence is so clear it doesn't work. And we keep, you're right, it's everywhere. Uh, Officer Dion, um, you mentioned you give Skid Row tours. Let's talk about uh, your your ministry and where you feel called by the Lord, uh, especially to homeless people and to love people mm-hmm. uh, on Skid Row. You know, part of this, you know, what we need to do is have better enforcement. And there's all kinds of political policy issues. What about the church? What do we do as believers? What do we need to be thinking about in this area? Well, I always tell people, you know, the, the church wasn't supposed to be confined to four walls. Yeah. You, you got to get out and you got to go out and meet people where they are. And a lot of people do. 
So a lot of church members, and I applaud them for trying, but a lot of them go about it in uh, reckless ways. Mm. Uh, like they come to Skid Row and they want to set up tables and chairs and film themselves feeding and clothing the homeless in the street. And when, before I was a cop, I, I would have thought that was a great thing. But now that I know what the programs offer the people uh, in Skid Row, it's kind of reckless because when you come down there, you have to know that there are great, wonderful programs like the Union Rescue Mission, Midnight Mission, L.A. Mission, yeah. uh, the St. Vincent Center, all these great programs that serve anywhere from ten to 12,000 meals a day. The average person on Skid Row, if you decided to stop feeding today in the streets, could eat up to four, to four times a day. And we proved that during the pandemic. During the initial phase of the pandemic, everybody was scared to come down to Skid Row. And guess what? Nobody starved. Yeah. Nobody starved. Huh. So what happened is you have people of faith coming in with the overabundance of things. And what the person on the street does is, look, oh, I don't have to go to a drug program. I don't have to go to the shelter to eat. I don't have to check into a program. I can get my food here and I can continue to destroy myself on the sidewalk. And really the only person you've helped is yourself once you film yourself and put it on YouTube that you're giving out to the homeless. And that goes against every principle of the Bible that says don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing when doing good works. So much of mission work is look at me, look at me. Look at me, look chair. At I call I'm, it look at me, charity. Yeah. And their hearts may still be in the right place. Sure. Uh, but you kind of nullify the effects. And when I always say if you're doing God's work, you're going to see change. But you've had people who have been coming down there doing that and throwing food and clothes at the homeless for 40 years, and it hadn't changed until we were able to educate some of those folks and curb that activity. And we, I think we curbed it by about 40% by just educating. We never uh, mm. criminalized it. We wouldn't do that because people's hearts are in the right place. But yeah. what I did was when I see these church groups, I say, hey, look, this is what the programs are. If you want to give, don't give clothes and food in the street. Donate that to the missions. But if you want to give something from the heart, give hygiene kits. Give out yes. things that de-incentivize the streets. You never know. You could be dealing with somebody who's been binging on crack cocaine for four days. They're not wearing their clothes. Their clothes are wearing them. And the reason why they're so ornery that day is because they're itching. And, you know, give them a, uh, a kit with soap. Uh, uh, hand sanitizer, shampoo, uh, shaving cream, let them go in there, take it and have just a moment of sobriety. And maybe just maybe they'll take a shower and maybe check into one of these wonderful programs. So do things to de-incentivize streets. Another thing, uh, I met this wonderful man named Justin Baldoni. He's an actor. And, and, and I just thought to myself when I met him, it's a shame that this came from someone from the secular world. Mm. <laughs> you know? yeah. But he says, you know what we need to do? We need to bring about 100 people and make 100 connections. And he brought a bunch of people, and I was there for it all. <laughs> and he brought 100 people, and one person connected with one homeless person. And he brought me there to educate the public. He said, I said, don't fall for their stories. Keep coming. Don't come with anything in your hands. Just try to connect with them. And once they trust you, you'll see the need. And these people actually started to see the real need of these individuals. And they actually began to help people. So come out and make these connections first. It, I know you're going to be like, oh, I don't have anything in my hand. No. Come out there and just share your love. Talk to find out what they're actually going to need. Some of them might just need a job. Yeah. Some of them might need a program that you may know of outside of Skid Row. And maybe someone in your church uh, runs a, a program away from Skid Row that can get them away from, from the temptation to fail and connect them that way. Okay. These, take them to church on Sunday. Come pick them up and take them to your church on Sunday. Clean them up and take them to your church on Sunday to get them out of Skid Row just to, for themselves to see themselves for a second outside of the nightmare that they can't allow themselves to escape from. You can do that as a church. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. The, the presence, the church isn't the building. The church is us. Mm -hmm. 
the church is you when you're out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. These people who are loved by God. Yeah. I would never tell anybody not to come down and give what I tell you is given a way that guides people to the help that they need. And if you do that, uh, you'll see it because when you do it the opposite way, that's where you see the rats, the roaches, the clothing piled up on the sidewalk in the streets, um, that fester that people use to bathe and wipe themselves with. And that's where we started having, uh, those diseases like typhoid and, uh, we had, uh, hepatitis A and all these horrible diseases that were because a lot of that came from the food donations. Mm. And, uh, and, and so we just have to give, you gotta be real careful. Uh, Dion, we just have a couple of minutes left. If somebody wants to uh, get in touch with you, do you do speaking? Do you come to churches or men's groups or, or talk? Absolutely. I come to, to college campuses, churches, police forces, whatever, to talk about this stuff. You can reach me at uh, my website at officerdeonjoseph.org or your, email me at info at deonjoseph.org. I always say, give me two hours of your time. I will change your life. I want to show you things that you can't deny. And I know we can't unpack everything in an hour uh, segment, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to speak with you again and really share what Christ has done in my life to help people. And I'm not bragging about myself. I'm just bragging about my God and and just giving and allowing him to use me to change people's lives because we changed some lives uh, for the last 26 years. Your ministry is incredible. And as I've gotten to know you, um, for me, just seeing what you do, and there's some videos on your website at DionJoseph.org, people will see Mm -hmm. kind of the interaction you have, but also the connection you have with people who are on Skid Row. And how people who hated the police officers and everything and hated you at first, yeah. you know, now you have a relationship and now you are you are loved yep. because you're the presence of Christ. Yep, I become like family to them because yes. I, even though I can't apostolize at my job, I can show the love of Christ and they see it and they feel it. And the, and that is so vital. I mean, you are Jesus walking down there with them uh, in this way. And thank you for doing that. Thank and you. thank you for teaching us so much today. I know it's a it's a whole lot. Uh, and we will have you back uh, regularly to talk about our city and what's going on. And I want to encourage everybody, go to DionJoseph.org, his website. You can follow him on Twitter, which I follow you on Twitter, and uh, and uh, see just all the different things that you are doing. Thank you for your service as an officer also to each and every one of us um, and for being a great uh, testimony of our faith of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Keep the people of Skid Row in your prayers. They're beautiful people. Let's pray for them, and then we'll, we'll go. All Absolutely. right, let's pray for Absolutely. you, too. God, thank you for Officer Dion Joseph and for, God, we thank you that you put him in places he doesn't want to go, and you do that to us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you do that because you love everybody, and you love all these people here at Skid Row. But thank you for his life and uh, for Officer Dion's testimony, his life, and we pray that you would bless his his wife, Tasha, and his family and uh, his job, that you would keep him safe um, and that his love for people would be contagious to fellow officers and all of the people that he meets. Uh, We thank you for him. We pray for everybody who's on Skid Row right now and all the different people who are working to really help people. We pray for a revival in our land, that people would know Jesus and that people would change policy to really help people, that, that this would change. We thank you that we're called to be the catalyst for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Officer Dion, thank you for joining us in Southern California Live. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you here. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Southern California Live. We will be back with Open Phone Friday as soon as we return. And the number is 888-528-2557. You can learn more about Officer Dion Joseph at dionjoseph.org. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. We'll we'll be back as the Friday edition continues. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. Great to be with you on this afternoon. We're expecting some rain. Maybe it's already raining a little bit where you are. 
And uh, hopefully we won't have so much rain that it causes a whole bunch of other damage. But uh, be in prayer about that. It's supposed to get pretty uh, stormy in different parts of the Southland. And uh, so hopefully um, that'll be a good thing for us this weekend. And to bring the temperature down, that also will be good. It's been hot for too long. This is Southern California Live on Fridays. We do Open Line Friday. If there is something that you would like to talk about, you can pick the subject or change the subject if we're talking about somewhere else, something else, or you can join the conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557 is the number. It is um, September 11th anniversary this weekend. Is that something that you still think about every year? It's 21 years away. Uh, from now, 21, is it 21? Yeah, 21 years ago. Um, it's for, I think for a lot of us who went through it, it doesn't seem like 21 years. I remember it very vividly. Um, but what strikes me is that if you are, what, 26 probably or younger, you don't have any memory of it, maybe 27, depends on whether or not you were watching TV, right? Many of the people in our armed services who had been fighting the the different wars that began because of 9-11 were over there and didn't even experience it themselves. That's how far away it is. And yet it is such a big part of our our national, I think, part of our conscience. I think that, you know, I think for those of us who remember that time, we long for the unity that we had in those few days afterward. And maybe there's some hope for our country that that could come back, but maybe it takes something terrible, unfortunately, for that to happen. You know, there were several events that were were very meaningful in the days following the 9-11 attack. Do you remember where you were for that? Do you have a story that is uh, one you'd like to tell? You can call and share that with us if you'd like. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I was just at home, and... Um, my uh, wife, for some reason, she was up really early. Maybe she had to get up early for her job. I'm kind of, it's funny because I'm not, I'm kind of fuzzy on that. She was up before me and was getting ready. And I woke up and uh, I don't remember what time it was, but it was like 545 maybe. And I turned the TV on. It must have been more, more like six o'clock because I turned that TV on somewhere between 545 and six. It was right after the second plane hit. So the second plane had hit, I turned it on and I see on the screen the Twin Towers smoking and I can hear in the voices of the news broadcasters, they were just shaking and I just said, whoa. And Christy turned around and she looked at the TV and I said, somebody bombed the World Trade Center. I had no idea yet it was planes that had gone into it. And, you know, I could probably recall that entire day, hour by hour, what happened and what I did and what I was watching and how I went through that day. It was a crazy day. I think uh, for me, I don't think the world is the same. I don't think it's, it's not at all the same. When people say that there's a September 10th way of thinking and a September 12th way of thinking, I think that's exactly right. I think that's hard to explain, but it changed, it changed the world. And it, um, is something that I remember every year. I'm thinking about it a lot today because my kids are at an age now where they're learning about it in history class. My boys are James and John. They're 13 and 10. And I was watching a uh, documentary on it the the other day. My 13-year-old James, uh, he asked some questions, and it was kind of late at night, and uh, he needed to go to bed, so I sent him to bed. But really, the reason I sent him to bed was, I want to watch this to see if it's appropriate for him. 
And I don't know. It's uh, in fact one of the best documentaries uh, out there um, is called uh, 9-11. Uh, well, I need to get that name. I don't have it in front of me. I'll find it in a minute. Um, you can find it on the National Geographic app. It's for free there. You can buy it in other places. Um, I was watching that. It's like six-part episode, and it is very powerful. Uh, it is something that follows the life of people who were there that day, and it kind of goes you know hour by hour through the day. It's called 9-11, One Day in America, and uh, it's on Hulu and some other things. Some some places you got to pay for it, and other places you get it for free. You know that, that sometimes the shows that you think, oh, I need to rent it so I won't watch it, or maybe you spend the $5 on it, just go to another app. It might be on another app on your TV for free. So last I saw, it's on National Geographic for free. Uh, if you want to watch it, nine eleven, one day in America. But I'll tell you what, it's 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 incredible the footage that they have of that day that I had never seen until I had seen that. And they they follow some firefighters. They they follow some stories of people. There's a Christian man named Stanley Primnath. Is his name Stanley Primnath? And he's got a great testimony of getting out of those towers and how the Lord saved his life and the person who he is sharing the gospel with who's bringing him down the stairs. And um, he spoke at our church one time. It's powerful. He's in there. And you learn about first responders. You learn about people who worked in different areas of the day. If you if you just need to learn about it, it's really good. But I'm going to tell you, it's brutal and it's sad. Uh, it's got some great stories of heroism in it. Uh, from some of the great heroes of that day, but it's it's hard. So I, I was I sent him to bed because I didn't really want him to. I didn't know if it's even appropriate. I still don't know if if he's ready for the weight of that. Uh, there's a movie if you want to watch a movie. There's a couple of 9/11 movies. One of them is uh, called United 93. I think that's the best one, and uh, it's United 93 takes you through the events of the day and it's based around the flight 93 which was the fourth plane to go down it's the one with the heroes on the plane todd beamer and that group that tried to uh take the plane back from the terrorists who'd hijacked it Um, and ultimately that movie ends terribly sad right the plane crashes but it's very realistic one of the things they do and maybe i'm into this more than some people but i've you can go online now and you can actually listen to or read transcripts from all the air traffic controllers from police from firefighters from the military all of the stuff is there i've spent over the 21 years way too much time reading all that stuff but it's just fascinating from that day well united 93 actually takes a some of that information and they they recreate it and the a lot of it takes place at FAA headquarters where they're making the decisions about the ground stops and eventually bringing all the planes down. If you don't remember that day, you know, obviously you have these hijackings and we hadn't had hijackings for a long time. And you see how they were trying to handle it, um, where eventually on that day they just shut down the airspace. They made everybody land. A good friend of mine was on one of those planes on 9-11. He had to land. And they didn't tell him on the plane, and this was, you didn't have internet on the plane back then. You didn't have the ability to find out what's going on. Uh, you had the phones that, remember the phones that used to be on the aircraft behind the seat in front of you, right? And you pull the phone out and you have to slide your credit card through it. And uh, it was like $17 a minute or something ridiculous. And then you'd call people and you'd say, yeah, guess where I'm calling from? You know, and they'd call from the plane. And it was a very expensive thing to do. Um, so the pilot comes on and they said, uh, we've been ordered to land because of a national emergency. That's all they said. 
and he said we just dropped from the sky so fast. He was flying from he was flying from Chicago to or Detroit. I mean, from Detroit to Los Angeles, and they landed somewhere in Iowa. Um, and they, he said he didn't know what happened. They thought the president was killed or something uh, until they got off the plane and they watched. Uh, they saw it in the airport. Anyway, uh, this movie goes through how all those decisions were made. It's about an hour and a half. If you are interested in something like that, that's the one I'd recommend. I'll let you know there's bad language in it because people said bad language that day, as you can imagine. You know, it's rated R, and it needs to be. The subject matter is difficult. It's it's super well done, directed by Paul Greengrass, if that means anything to you. It's just it's super well acted. It's well done. They don't hide from the issues either. Uh, they don't get into politics, but they don't hide from the fact that it was – uh, Muslim extremists who did it. It's very, very clear that that's a, a big part of the story. Uh, they did a really good job. What do you tell your kids about this? Have you had conversation with your little kids about 9-11? I'm thinking about it because not only is my 13-year-old asking about these documentaries, but my 10-year-old at his school today, they had a big 9-11 ceremony. I couldn't go, but my wife sent me pictures, and they got you know flags everywhere, and they've got uh, the day kind of planned out. They had speakers. They had first responders there, police officers and firefighters, and people came to the school, and they honored those first responders, which I thought, by the way, is great. That's, you know, it's, a, it's a super good way to deal with this, uh, the, the memory of that day because the, the first responders, you know, they – they some of those people were called to survive, but some of them were called to go into that building and not come out. Um, and that is uh, it's just such a powerful, powerful thing. What do you tell your 10 year old about these kinds of things? What do you say to your kids? I'm dealing with that. You got any thoughts about that? 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. It is open line Friday. <laughs> So we can talk about 9-11, which uh, 21st anniversary is on Sunday, or we can talk about whatever you'd like. In our final segment coming up, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. I will return as the Friday edition of SoCal Live continues. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you. It's Open Line Friday. We'll talk about whatever it is you'd like to talk about. Current discussion is... 9-11 anniversary is coming up. The number is 888-528-2557. It's Sunday. Sunday is the 11th. 888-528-2557 is the number. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Let's go to Mike in Simi Valley. Welcome to Southern California Live, Mike. Yeah, hi, Scott. Uh, hey, first I just want to say uh, it was really good listening to uh, Mike Conway yesterday. He was so one of my teachers at the Bible college I went through. Oh, no kidding. Uh, like, yeah, like 20 years ago, the Teen Challenge Ministry Institute. It's really yeah. good listening to him yesterday. He is great. If you missed that, you can find it on our uh, podcast. Just go to the SoCal Live page at uh, our station website, and you can find that right there. Go ahead, Mike. Awesome. Okay, so, um, yeah, so 9-11, uh, first, I can't believe it's been 20 years. It's like 21. I, time goes by so fast it's crazy yeah but i was in simi valley and i had to paint i paint houses i had to paint kitchen cabinets in moore park and then i was told you know hey the towers went down i thought it was i thought somebody was joking with me and i saw and i knew my brother you know we're from there and i knew my brother was working down there and so i called him and all i could hear from his cell phone was just weird sounds and i thought oh man he's probably under a bunch of rubble and stuff and but it turned out he was, he was about a mile away 
working finishing concrete and his it was crazy he said it was crazy people were screaming crying dirt was in, flying in the air and his boss was saying yeah just keep working and uh and then eventually they just they had to they had to leave and uh but you know when i when i was a teenager you know we used to hang out on the street corner in the bronx you know like smoking pot and drinking beer this one guy used to come with his girlfriend you know and he was like he wasn't one of us he was like somewhat respectable well he he uh, eventually became a police officer, and he ran in the building that day to save someone, and that was it. He died, mm. and they they moved the street after him in New York. They they put a street sign, and we call uh, I I still not sure what his name is, his real name to this day, but they called him Mimo, and uh, I, I'll never forget. It, it was almost like why did he die, and then the rest of us who lived kind of crazy, why are we still alive? You yeah, know? but yeah. but uh, yeah. All right, Mike, I pre- appreciate your call on that subject. It's uh, it's amazing that it's kind of a, a sign, I think, of being in a small world, how many of us know somebody who actually was involved that day, either they passed away or they made it through, or they uh, know somebody very closely. You know, there's 300, and 300 million people back then, I think, in the United States, and, um, you know, it seems like a lot, but in many ways it isn't. You know, we are so close to each other that you know somebody who knows somebody. And I think that's another reason that when you have an event where that many people die in the same day, it affects all of us because we, we know people. Um, such a fascinating thing and such a just a cultural uh, moment. 888-528-2557. You can call and uh, share where you were on 9-11 or uh, any other subject because it is Open Line Friday. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is Southern California Live. Rachel, welcome to Southern California Live. Rachel, you with me? Yes. Hi, Rachel. Okay, who is this? This is Scott Furrow. You're on Southern California Live. Okay. Dear dear brother, uh, Pastor Scott, please, hon, please pray for me. Okay, what's going uh, on, I Rachel? Have, well, I have, see, Grandma is 90, and we have, what happened was, pray that there won't be the, the lights. Uh, can we lose our lights? Because we're full of rats. The rats ripped open the bottom of the kitchen sink, and and even on top of the stove, the fan up there. The rats are even up there. I can see them. Yeah, they're up in the, the fan up so there. So you've got. Hold on a second. You've got a bunch of rats in your place. Is this normal yeah. for where you live? Uh, well, they say, they're saying on the radio that they bite. Tyson and his mom are saying that they bite, and they're saying California is full of rats. Is what they were saying too, though. They, they had, yes, and so, dear Father God, please help us, hon. How can you pray that? Uh, because Grandma's so old that that the won't. Yeah. If the lights don't go out, I think she can make it. All right. If the lights go out, I don't no. know if she's going to make it. Okay, so your grandma is ninety. Yeah, pray, pray that the lights don't go out, honey. All right, I'll pray for that. Thank you, okay. Rachel. God, Thank I just you. pray for for Rachel and her grandma. I pray that the lights don't go out and uh, that she is protected from uh, anything that that would cause. I, I pray for uh, whatever the rat situation is that someone would help. Uh, California is full of rats, that is for sure, And uh, but we should be able to contain that for each other. I pray that somebody at her church or somebody that she knows um, would would help her out with that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it's Open Phone Friday, so like we say, we'll talk about anything that you want to. Uh, that's why we have this little special tune here. See? You never know. And, uh, you know, she's right that there's uh, rats 
you know, there's a lot of rats and uh, in California, and there's so many comments I, I want to make, but I'm talking about the actual real animal. Yeah, you know, don't go traipsing through a bunch of ivy if you don't know uh, where you are. 888-528-2557 is the number. We were talking about 9-11, and, uh, you know, one of the questions I had is what's appropriate to show my kids as far as documentaries or movies about 9-11. My kids are 13 and 10. What do you tell them? You know, this is something that to them is, and I heard somebody say this, and it's hard to believe this if you went through it, but to them, 9-11 is the same as Pearl Harbor would be if you didn't live through that. It's just a, it's something that happened in, in the old days, a long time ago, and, um, you know, what do you learn about that? You learn from people who went through it. Uh, you learn, um, a good friend of mine who passed away a few years, he was in my church, he was a Pearl Harbor survivor. He literally jumped off the boat, you know, that sank. And, uh, you know, you, you learn about what it was really like from people who were there. I think that's why we should continue to tell the stories. We like to say never forget. Right, we're we're not going to forget nine eleven. We don't want to forget what happened that day. I think we shouldn't forget the unity that we had. That's something that um, I just want to come back to here. Is that the unity that our country had after that? It said something. I think we still have that deep down, and hopefully, it doesn't take a tragedy like that to bring it back. And even unity around the world, with uh, the Queen Elizabeth passing away yesterday. I was reminded that I remembered that one of the things that I thought was one of the most emotional things was the way there was world out outcry and mourning with us on that day. And at the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace, which is a traditional thing that happens, uh, you know, the band would come out and the guys in the red jackets and the hats, you know, the hats and they play a song and they'll play um, God Save the Queen. And then they will play usually a British tune or something from a movie or something that's popular music, you know, something that's kind of entertaining because there's a, there's tourists and people who gather around for the changing of the guard, but it's always something very British. Okay. That they would do on, it was on the 12th or the 13th after nine 11 and the queen of England, queen Elizabeth ordered that they instead play the national anthem. And it's the first time in 600 years that that changing of the guard where they played something, um, played a foreign country's national anthem, sounded like this. And if you, uh, if you watch that and you kind of go through it and uh, you know the, the tune here, so it here but they play through it if you go online you watch it it's super moving there are some people in the crowd who start to sing the national anthem there are people who uh, are crying um, and it was a it was a moment and I think that there's something there still in the spirit of uh, who we are you're listening to Southern California live 888-528-2557 got time for maybe one call here so we'll see Chris from Rancho Cucamonga welcome to Southern California live Chris, you with me? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Okay, yeah, I just want to share, um, you know, I was probably around 23 at the time. I was, I remember I was just waking up in the morning, I think or sometime in the morning over here, and I was just, just stuck with, you know, on the TV tube. Right? On 9-11, yeah. 
Yeah. And um, I was, at the time, I was part of the National Guard, Army National Guard in California. And uh, we were shortly uh, called up for that. Uh, you know, of course, Amer uh, America is known as, uh, you know, the world's police force. So we had just a lot of, a lot of obligation all out the world, uh, you know, the world. So at the time, my, my unit was already being deployed to uh, Saudi Arabia. That was, that was an optional optional thing. But mm. then uh, when uh, we were called up, we were basically called up just to replace them later. Yeah. That was the thing where you know, everybody was being called up for stuff so even even as a national guard nurse so yeah, it was a it was a crazy time it was a crazy crazy time well thank you chris for uh, your service uh to our country and for uh, sharing that uh at the time i was a pastor for uh in another church a big church i was pastor of a young adult group we had a bunch of navy seals in our group and they all of them were gone the next day. They didn't, I don't know what happened to most of them. Only one came back. And I said, what happened to you guys? He said, we were actually in class early that morning. And uh, he said, I got a hand on my shoulder. And they said, let's go. And we all left the class and said, within just a very short period of time, we were out of the country. I mean, they were just sent in a hurry. And, and I don't know the stories other than this one guy, what happened, but it was a it was an incredible, incredible time. You know, friends, uh, we don't have time for the rest of your calls. I appreciate your calls. We always do open line Friday, or most of the time we do. So you can always call on Friday or call at any time to join us, or you can send me an email at any time, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Um, Sunday, whatever you do for 9-11, maybe your church will will recognize it. Maybe it's getting too far away for some people. But I think that it's worth remembering, and it's, of course, remembering something very, very important, that our hope ultimately is in Jesus Christ, uh, not even in our country or in the unity that we hope to have. Our hope is in Christ. And that was what got me through that day. You know, the uh, the the thought that, hey, you know what, this event is terrible as it is. There are people who are going to come to know Christ because of that day. And lots of people did. Lots of people saw real evil, and they saw evil that was beyond their expectation. And that's why Jesus died to defeat that and to defeat the sin that is behind it. And there's a lot more I can say, but I am out of time for today and for this week. Thank you for listening. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I will be back on Monday for SoCal Live. Have a great weekend. God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.